Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this very special edition of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2022. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and this evening I am not joined by the Grizz, but instead I am joined by Peter Holden from WARF Radio, but he's also better known as Crowded House on the Forum, and he is the Essendon expert, well, the Essendon board expert at the very least. I'll let him decide if he is the Essendon expert on all things VFL and AFLW. How are you this evening, Peter? Yeah, not too bad at all, Bonser, and I'm going to warn everyone, I'm going to take off my Wharf Radio hat being an unbiased commentator, and I'm going to leave that aside, and I'm going to put on my very biased bomber beanie for the next half hour or so. So I, I said W-A-R-F, but it's Wharf, is it? Uh, we, we call it Wharf Radio as a nickname, but yeah, we, we spell it out on air as W-A-R-F Radio, so people know, don't throw in the H when we say Wharf. <laughs> now, you obviously do a fair bit of commentating for the VFLW. Yeah, uh, what is it? Season 8 now for us, and that includes back when it used to be the uh, VWFL. So we've seen it go through from the pre-AFLW era like uh, about a month ago. I did my 300th women's footy broadcast, so <laughs> I'm starting to get grey hair from that. So, yeah, I've, I've been around and seen, seen it a lot and maybe through a little bit of bias. I've done quite a number of Essendon games this year, probably more than other clubs. So uh, it's been nice to, to see after calling Essendon in the first year when there was uh, only the one win for the year and things were looking pretty bleak to now looking like a side that I guess brings back the good memories like 2000 in the uh, AFL competition when we were just blitzing everybody, taking names and kicking ass. Well, you're right because many of our listeners might not have paid a great deal of attention to the VFLW this year. I don't think a lot of our listeners actually probably pay attention to the VFL as well. But having said that, Essendon are... They're undefeated this year, haven't they? But they have had the 12 wins for the year. And, and amusingly for me anyway, they've also had the two draws as, as we sort of head towards the, the end of the season. And what's even funnier with the two draws is that we had a kick after the siren on both occasions and both just fell short of the distance. So what you're saying is that we actually should be 14 and, and oh, and it really is, uh, we really are having the, the 2000 sort of reminiscing of the siren. It, it, Indeed we are. And it's very similar to 2000 where, remember near the end where the second last round we lost to the Western Bulldogs and we kind of limped over the line against Collingwood. This is what happened with our season. Mind you, how our fixture came out, the better sides, uh, including Casey, Hawthorne and the Southern Saints we met for the second time, we weren't scheduled to meet them until the back end of the season. So uh, our tougher games have come near the end. And it, in one way, it kind of looks like we're struggling but now that we've got a pre-finals by and, and then we'll have the finals, maybe there hopefully will be a hint of 2000 where it looked like we're struggling. Then in the first week of the finals, we just came out and smacked the marshmallows by 125 points. That was that was a very good day. And you're right, I do remember that back of that season. There was a lot of talk after the end of uh, round 22 against Collingwood that, that maybe Essendon had, uh, had, had peaked and then obviously it turned up and belted north, as you mentioned, in round one of the finals. So now in the VFLW, it is a top six, isn't it? Yeah, we're playing by um, an unusual top six format. So what will happen is first we'll play second. So obviously we're top of the table as minor premiers. We're going to be playing host to Hawthorne at Windy Hill on Saturday, the 11th of June. So that's the long weekend, Saturday, 11th of June at 11.05am. It's a doubleheader on the day. There's Essendon Carlton in the VFL men's uh, straight afterwards. Uh, the good news is if you get there for the women's game, entry is free. So you don't have to pay, come along and watch it. And then what will happen is if we win, we go through and host a major semi-final at Windy Hill against either, because this is where it gets a bit unusual, third play sixth, Casey versus Collingwood, and fourth play fifth, which is Geelong versus the Southern Saints. Now, the highest-ranked winner from the elimination finals uh, would play the winner of our game versus the Hawks. Let's say it's us. So it would be most likely Essendon-Casey. But if Collingwood caused the upset, 
Therefore, then it goes to Geelong and the Saints, and and the winner of that would play us in the in the major semi-final. If people can follow that, and the good news is, if we unfortunately do lose that qualifying final, we've got the double chance, and we would host a minor semi-final against the second highest ranked winner. So the major semi-final loser, do they get a second chance as well? So so say we go ahead and beat Hawthorne and then obviously move on to yeah. the second week. If we lose that game, that's a second chance there as well. Yeah, that, that's the major semi-final. So in the major semi-final, if you lose that, that's when it becomes almost like the old top four. If you lose the major semi-final, you go to the prelim. If you win the major semi-final, you go straight through to the grand final. Grand final, uh, Saturday, July 3rd, if I'm correct. Um, and that's at, on a, pardon me, Sunday, rather. Uh, in That's the first Sunday in July. It's at Northport Oval, otherwise known as ETU Stadium. So... That'll be interesting if we do make it there because from a viewing point of view, that's a fantastic ground for a grand final. But from our playing point of view, that's probably not the ground that suits our game style. So why, why doesn't that ground suit our game style? If anyone's been out there to Port Melbourne, it's, it's a very small, compact type of ground and it uh, rewards those that are, that are in and tough and, and fight a scrappy pressure contest where we prefer playing on the MCG-sized oval at the Hangar uh, where we like to get run and carry and spread going. And that's where we blitz sides by simply getting it off the half-back line, getting it quickly over to the wing, up the half-forward flank, and just essentially beating sides on the burst. A lot of our marks, like when they go to Mia Ray Clifford and Renee Tierney in the forward line, it's not like a traditional, um, uh, like, uh, let's say, forward where you'd be plonked in the goal square and you've got to try and put it on their head and they'd stand tall and take the mark. They're very much like Lockett, Dunstall, etc. and Lloyd, where it'd be on the lead. You're trying to hit your target on the lead. And when we've got like the hanger and it's spread out, and there's bigger pockets, it, it works brilliantly well. But when you come to something like Northport, that's very much a contested mark type of environment. And uh, again, that doesn't quite suit our game plan. So there'll be, there'll be some... Um, I guess some scratching about the heads for our coaches of, of how do we adjust our game plan to work that grand best. So say, saying we make it all the way to the grand final, is the grand final at Port, at Port Melbourne similar to, I think the, v, the VFL tend to rotate theirs around a little bit? Yeah, yeah the, v, the VFL in the last time round used uh, Icon Park. At, at the moment, that's really out, out of order because of um, construction going on there. And I think the VFL men's might end up back at, at Docklands like it was beforehand for a while. Yeah, right. um, in, in the past, um, what happened was Port Melbourne's Northport would be used for the first three weeks of the finals. And then, of course, then they go off to a different ground for their, for their grand final. Um, here in the VFLW, the highest ranked team on the ladder at the end of the home and away season gets to host the finals through the first and second week. But the prelim and the grand final gets played at Port Melbourne. So it does sound like no matter what we do, at some point we will have to, to, to travel to Port Melbourne and unfortunately overcome the, the difficulties that, that you've previously mentioned. But, but let's just talk about the VFLW side for a little bit. Now, obviously, uh, Georgia, and I'm going to have a crack at her last name, but I may be Nan, Nance Carwin. Is that? Uh, that's what I used to say, but I found out it's actually Georgia Nanscorn. So think of it ah. as Nanscorn. So Nanscorn is obviously she's obviously our, the VFLW co-captain and she's also managed to make it on one to on one of our uh, as one of our inaugural AFLW players how's her season actually gone so far this year is she for those that don't, are unaware is she, is she one of our better players in the VFLW well to put it this way um, with about 3 rounds to go they stopped publishing the A, the uh, AFL coaches association VFLW votes which obviously has named that they're voted on by uh, both coaches in each game and she was at the point where she was one vote ahead of Hannah Stewart 
of the Southern Saints. And that's impressive because Georgia missed a couple of games around about, if I remember correctly, I think it was around four and five when um, she was just looking at her knee there. There was a little slight tweak to it, but um, she was okay after that. But yeah, she was leading by one vote. There's a theory she might have lost it on the weekend because she was held to about 12 disposals while Hannah Stewart got 19 disposals for the Southern Saints. But certainly she's there in the top two of that. We'll know that obviously in a few weeks time when they announce that winner. And as we know, when it comes to umpires votes, usually previous winners poll well. And considering that we won more games than the Southern Saints, there's obviously more chances for Georgia to get three votes in a game. Um, the only challenge is obviously trying to take um, votes away from her would have been Sarah Ford, who played for us uh, for a few games at the start of the year. Amelia Radford's been having a good year. Jordan Zanchetta and Joanne Doonan. But you would have to suggest that Georgia would be one of the favourites going in to win the uh, Lambert Pierce medal. Who do we have up forward for the VFLW? So I, I appreciate that obviously the scores are, are a little bit lower, but I, I think that the, the scores are, if you look at the scoreboard, we certainly do know how to kick a score. And um, our, our ladies have definitely improved in that area, I think, this year compared to previous years. Yeah, absolutely. And we must remember as well, when people look at low scores in the VFLW, the game is a lot shorter to the VFL men's, for example. Um, the women play four 20-minute quarters with no time on. So you think every time that you kick a goal, you lose about 40 to 45 seconds of play, yep. plus any stoppages and the ball that goes out of bounds, etc. So probably in real terms, you get something like about 14 to 15 minutes of play um, each quarter. Federica Fru is the VFLW leading goal kicker. Um, so she will win the uh, Rowena Young uh, Award, uh, finishing on I think it was 27 goals for the season. And we also had a number of uh, players in the top 10, including um, Cecilia McIntosh, who finished, uh, I think if I recall the top of my head, with, with about 14 goals. I might be incorrect there. But uh, Cecilia, at age 42, was actually considering um, going into the draft. So virtually coming out of AFLW retirement. Unfortunately for her, she tore the hamstring off the bone um, a few oh, weeks ago. Geez. And um, essentially what the doctors have told her, and she revealed to us on air um, a couple of weeks ago, was that we can get you through a VFLW finals yeah. campaign if you look after it right. But essentially there is no chance of playing AFLW. So she's calling time on her career at the end of this VFLW finals campaign. So obviously the girls have something to look forward to. Uh, Mia Ray Clifford has been up front for us, uh, co-captain. She's kicked 20 goals for the year. Renee Tierney um, is sitting on 16 goals. Um, she's doing well. We've also got Grace Dicker on 11 goals. So, you know, we've got a fair spread of goal kickers. So we don't truly rely on one key forward. Uh, no two-meter Peter for us, per se. <laughs> so um, we, we do have multiple options to goal, which has been pretty good. But the scores have been drying up in the last few weeks, which is a little bit of a concern. But we have been playing some of the better sides towards the back end of the, of the season, though, in terms of the scores drying up. So if I look yeah. at the fixture, it, it probably doesn't really come as a great surprise that we're not playing the free-flowing football that maybe we saw earlier yeah. in the season. Yeah. Exactly. And we're starting to feel the pinch with the injuries. Like I said, Cecilia McIntosh had been out. Eloise Ashley Cooper, our club, uh, running club best and fairest, had been out as well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we lost uh, Nicole Julian um, for a couple of weeks. I hope she'll be back during maybe week two of the finals. Um, she did her calf in that game against the uh, Southern Saints. So um, there's been a few players that have had a little bit of niggling injuries and a few that got affected by health and safety protocols as well near the end of the season. So hopefully they'll all be back and right. And again, with that week off that we have on the weekend of, uh, of the 4th and 5th of June and we come back on the long weekend, that'll be enough time for for a number of them to recuperate and be back out there. I am amazed by the fact that you said somebody had their hamstring. Was it ripped off the bone and they're going to just nurse that through a VFLW final series? Yeah, exactly. That's Cecilia McIntosh. That's unbelievable. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, so you know, she that, that, that's an old that's an old injury for her. Um, she's reaggravated it, and um, yeah, that they said that we we can. She she was jogging around uh, a light jog around uh, Trevor Barker Beach Oval about a week or so ago, and and you're almost like, geez, you know, is she ready to get back out there? She's maybe just an emergency for today, and then she goes, well, no, actually, it's pretty bad, and uh, that that that's going to be my career. You know, it shocked us all when we heard the news. So. Um, and again, you know, she's 42 as well, which is which is amazing how she's one of our better players as well. And it's not to say that the players below her are terrible. It's just Cecilia is just absolutely fantastic. She's a freak. She she's a former Winter Olympian and a former Commonwealth Games medalist as well. So you know, she's just the elite of the elite. Yeah, we do seem to see that a lot more in the in the in the AFLW as well. In that we do have women who have been successful in other sports trans, transitioning over to the to the um, AFL and, and certainly been able to to make their, their mark and obviously Aaron Phillips is the main example there yeah and and like we've got a number of uh, you know cross coders in the team as well when we think about it, we've got Joanne Doonan at the moment who originally was on Carlton's AFLW list in 2020 and then obviously went back home to Ireland when the pandemic hit she came back out uh, I think about round two into the season and then played a couple of weeks later. She's just been racking up the disposals for us and has been put onto our AFLW list. Of course, she is from a Gaelic football background and is just, you know, taken to the game like a duck to water and even better this time around with a bit more time to focus on their game than she had at, uh, at the Blues. And then, obviously, we've got Danny Marshall as well, who's been upgraded to the AFLW list. She's been a linchpin for us in defence, and we can't figure out why the Bulldogs let her go. Um, she's one of our best marks going around. And a booming kick that can kick at about 60 metres um, prior to the AFLW. I mean, she was a NCAA Division II uh, soccer player in the US in the Colorado School of Mines. So, um, you know, we, we do know where to find them when it comes to these uh, cross-coders. We might move off from the VFLW, but I will just say that, you know, for success-starved Eston fans, it certainly appears like the VFLW is going to be some, something of an outlet for us because, uh, as we know, that the, the AFL men's side has been appalling for years and the VFL men, bless their hearts, have made it to a few prelims and, and never really got much further. So so hopefully we, we, we haven't jinxed them by, um, by, by, by stating it, but it does appear like the VFLW, at the very, very least, will go deep into the final series and, and should be there on the... The last day at Port Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we've got quite a number of exciting players out there, such as uh, and just player Courtney Eugle as well. I mean, she has great leadership qualities. She's very aggressive um, at the ball and at the opponent. She's a pleasure to watch. Uh, Amelia Radford at the moment, third in handballs in the league, tenth in kicks in the league. Um, she's one that's flown under the radar. She was leading um, the coaches awards votes um, uh, around the mid part of the season as well. There's a number of great little stories when you when you watch our women's side in the VFLW. And uh, as I said, to go from 2018. Uh, when we had one win, it was by less than a kick, and we looked pretty ordinary as wooden spooners, to now being in a position where we're top of the table, we're undefeated, we're looking at two home finals in a row, and possibly a direct ticket to a grand final, and do I say the P word, a premiership? It's, um, it's looking pretty good. Jesus, you, you, I'm always wary of saying saying the P word, because it does um, inevitably come back to bite us, as all Essendon fans will know. But so, if we move to the AFLW, if I'm not mistaken, we currently have 17 players on our list, I believe. That's correct. So we've signed 17. That's a, a mixture of AFLW poachings from other clubs, uh, those that have been upgraded from our VFLW list, and one which we took from a VFLW list from elsewhere, and a NAB League's girls player. With those that weren't previously at AFLW clubs, if they previously nominated for an AFLW draft, but it had obviously been overlooked, then we're allowed to directly sign them. Those were the rules. So 17 out of 30 spots have been filled. We've got 13 to fill. Most likely seven of them 
will be done at the draft. We just uh, got, as of recording, we've got uh, what our draft order is, is in both the national context and a state-based pool context. And that means probably if we use all those seven in the draft, we've got roughly six spots to play with right now during the sign and trade period where we can pick up delisted players from elsewhere, those that have previously nominated for a draft but haven't been taken. Or obviously, if we go through the whole draft process and we still haven't filled the 30 spots, then you go into this uh, free agency where it could, because it's different to the AFL men's draft, it's not a national draft, you nominate for what state you want to be um, drafted out of. If, for example, we're eyeing someone up in Queensland and they're not taken by either the Lions or the Gold Coast Suns, after that draft, we're actually able to pick up the phone through free agency and uh, sign them directly ah. that way. I do just want to quickly touch on on one of the players that we that we have signed that was previously on a VFLW list because I'm told that it's it's stealing her would have been essentially like stealing Sam Walsh from from Carlton at the moment. That is Maddie Press Parkus. How do you view her coming into the Essendon AFLW? Is she going to be, the, I suppose, the player that we build this side around for the next five to ten years? Let me put it to you this way: she won the AFLW Rising Star Award in 2019. She played in Carlton's grand final for that year against Adelaide. Uh, she was named in the 22, best 22 players under the age of 22 from 2017 right through to 2019 and, in fact, was vice-captain of it in both 2020 and 2021. She's Carlton's best and fairest in 2019, 2020, and 2022. Uh, and, of course, um, was also a league best and fairest as well. I mean, that just shows the quality of, uh, of Maddie press Parkers and... The best part about it all is she grew up an Essendon supporter and idolised <laughs> Joe Watson. So as I keep chanting on um, social media, when, it, when we signed some of these who used to follow Essendon growing up, I always keep saying Wolf of Wall Street, one of us, one of us, one of us. And, and she's also managed to bring across um, some teammate, or at least one teammate from Carlton that, that's going to be beneficial to the side. Well, yeah, well, technically two. Um, uh, one AFLW player, Georgia G, and um, apparently the nickname for them was Velcro, that they're <laughs> stuck together like Velcro. They're always seen together. And, uh, and that was the case. Uh, they were both seen together at Windy Hill uh, cheering on our side against the uh, Casey Demons. Georgia G, now people look at her and go, oh, she's a small or slight frame. It's like, no, no, she can actually pack a serious punch when it comes to tackling, you know, and she's a tough, fierce player. She's um, a mid who can push forward, will generally play in the forward half of the ground and, and can act as a goal sneak as well. So she, she's an exciting uh, player to add. And then also coming along from Carlton, but off their VFLW list is the number one ruck when it comes to hit outs in the VFLW in Georgia Borg. And what's even sweeter, if you actually check the Essendon Football Club website and the honour roll this year for members who have been members for 10 years. She's a 10-year member of the Essendon Football Club. <laughs> one of us! One of us! It really must be great for the, these women to, you know, they, I mean, they grew up hoping that this, this would be where they'd end up. And now to be able to play at your childhood dream is something that's very exciting for, for a lot of them. Early predictions, though. So are we looking at Nanscorn as likely to be our inaugural captain? Or do you think they will do something like maybe give it to Matty Presparkers or even somebody else that you can see taking that, that mantle? Yeah, that, that, that's very tricky. That is, that, that is a, a generally a very tricky question. Because remember, Georgia was a captain for us in the BFLW last year. And this year, split the honours. She's co-captain with Mia Ray Clifford. So it'll be interesting to see if they do go with her simply because but Georgia's now 30. So more see it as, okay, 
a more mature, experienced leader who can front the press. And, um, and obviously, uh, everyone knows her for her leaderships and, and her elite athlete background as a, a former uh, hockey roo. Or will they go with Maddie? Because uh, Maddie will be starting to edge closer to her mid-20s now. And, and there might be a school of thought of, well, you know, Maddie's an Essendon supporter growing up and will just beam and scream everything Essendon as she speaks. So it's, it's a good call. It obviously comes down to the players in the end. My gut instinct is they'll kick off first with Georgia. She'll probably take the take the reins for a couple of years. And then I think more as Maddie hits around 26, 27 years of age, uh, might handball it then to, for, for Maddie to take over the reins. And this isn't going to be Georgia's first crack at the AFLW, is, is it? Because she did play for North Melbourne, albeit briefly, in 2019. Yeah, so what happened was um, after she um, decided to part way with the Hockey Roos uh, back in around 2018, she ended up playing uh, State League football in WA, which many people don't remember. As uh, She played uh, with Swan Districts um, under Nicole Graves as coach. And then when Nicole left to become general manager at Carlton AFLW, Cara Antonio, who plays for the Fremantle Dockers, uh, took over as coach of Swan Districts and Georgia played under her. Uh, but I think she had a, an injury niggle at that time. So only got in like a handful of games. Then she went to North Melbourne because she happened to know uh, Laura Kane at uh, North Melbourne through University High School. And out of luck, of course, now Laura's a competition manager at the AFL. And Georgia played there North, but there was a couple of problems. One, they mischaracterized her and thought that she was going to be like, because she was a striker in hockey, oh, she'll be naturally a forward in footy. Uh, <laughs> in fact, she wasn't. She, she, she'd end up being more of a midfielder. And when they did start to realize that she'd be a midfielder, the problem was, North Melbourne AFLW has got a stacked midfield. Yeah, yeah. So there was just, as, as I spoke to their coach, Scott Gowans, after she got delisted, he goes, we'd love to keep her, but there's, there's just simply not the space here for her. So obviously after that, she got delisted and just wanted to play at Essendon and just wanted to play VFL for a while and uh, now is ready to go back with AFLW. And the, and the great thing is she purposely said that she wanted to play with Essendon because the, the year that she had in 2019, she could have easily had nominated for the draft and, you know, uh, had Melbourne take her because she was a Melbourne supporter uh, growing up. But um, no, just loved Essendon so much. She said that she, she didn't want to go anywhere else. Well, that's something that'll be music to a lot of people's ears because, as we know, a lot of Essendon fans do like to see the, uh, the Essendon supporter growing up, so to speak, playing out their childhood dream. But we will touch on the draft here. So I actually have had a look at the order today and I do have a question for you. Is there a, is there a method to how this order is actually organised? Because I look at the draft and go, well, Essendon have got pick four and eight. Hawthorne have somehow got picks 2, 6, 9, and 10. Sydney have got 1, 5, 11, 12, and 13. Is, is this because we've signed, you know, Matty Prasparkas, you know, Bonnie Toogood, all, all these other players from the other AFLW sides? We've sort of been almost penalised by not getting as many of the, the top draft picks that, that some of these other sides have got. Yeah, exactly. That's what they've done. I mean, there was there was thinking that for the first eight picks that we're going to do like a, a, a reverse snake order, such as if Sydney got pick one, that means they'd get pick eight as their second pick. And yeah. whoever got pick two would get pick seven and so forth. Instead, no, the AFL's looked at it in a way and just judged it as in, okay, who ended up poaching well and who was terrible at it? So if anything, it rewards, <laughs> in a way, it rewards us to say, you know, hey, we did a very good job and we poached some very good players. So we get penalised that way. Same as Port Adelaide. They picked up some okay players where Hawthorne <laughs> have got... If you look at Hawthorne's list, they didn't really pick up any A-graders at all. And, and it's the same, like, the, the Swans, what best player they got was Brooke Lachlan. Now, Brooke's a good player, but she's not elite. She's not an Aaron Phillips, an Emma Carney uh, 
uh, Matty Press Barker, so to speak. So, um, yeah, so unfortunately we've been penalised a little bit for um, being so well at picking the mature age players that are out there in the AFLW. But another way of looking at it is, um, and as a lot of people have been commenting, this draft pool is actually going to be very weak. A lot of the talk has been it's not going to go too deep. Plus, a lot of players have to be taken out of this draft because of, of four expansion sides. So it's best to probably have the mature age players. I mean, I've been looking at our picks and, and seeing, you know, who we might try and grab early and who might be a value pick late. And I see it doesn't run deep. But we need to remind people as well, as much as it says, Picks 4, 8, 32, 35, 47, 64, 82. That's in the national order, but we go as state-based pools. So in reality, when we go in Victoria and compete with uh, the nine other Victorian clubs, what it means is our actual picks are 2, 4, 17, 19, 25, 33, and 43. I must admit, I had a little bit of chuckle there. You said Port Adelaide picked up some some okay players because they obviously um, picked up Aaron Phillips, who I think everybody by now will know that name for the AFLW. But who do you, who do you see Essendon picking up in the draft? I know you've just said it runs a little bit uh, weak or shallow this year. I, I prefer to use the word shallow than weak. But but who, who do you see as, as probably the favourite for, for our pick? I mean, when you look at the current 17 players that Essendon have signed, Where's the weaknesses, do you think, for the AFLW side when, when they do start their season later this year? Well, if I look through the team, um, there's some things that stand out. We need to build up our defence. Sure, we could plug the gap with maybe a couple of VFLW players that are out there if we want to go down the mature path, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I think if we're looking at the youngsters, we certainly have to pick up a number of quality defenders, including running defenders off the back line, even though we did pick up some mids who can play a, a half-back role. Uh, we seem to be right in the mids, but obviously we want to pick up one or two youngsters to think about our future. Likewise with the forwards, we seem to be pretty much set in the forward line. Again, we just need to pick up one or two youngsters that are developing that we'll think about our future. The ruck is where we're at our absolute weakest, and we certainly need a, a key ruck. But if you look at the draft, the, the only spanner in the work that's been thrown there of late is a, a girl called Zali Goldsworth out of Albury, who was expected to um, be in the New South Wales pool for um, for GWS and Sydney to get. But she says, well, Aubrey's closer to Melbourne, so I'm nominating for Victoria. And she's a very good footballer. So everyone's like, well, you know, how's she going to shake up in the top four? But the, the presumptive number one at the moment out there is uh, Montana Hamp and the Western Jets is a big body inside mid. Unfortunately, I think the Hawks are going to get to her. So if you look at the Rookie Me Central Power Rankings, the next best cab off the rank, they reckon, is Jasmine Fleming from the Oakley Chargers. And you might remember the Fleming name. That is because she is the daughter of Australian quick Damien Fleming and uh, netballer Wendy O'Donnell. So she's got some very good sporting roots in her. She's a midfielder with an elite right foot. So probably she's the player that we're going to pick up. I reckon we go a, a mid straight away just to uh, give us that nice little bit of insurance. Then after that, when it comes to our second pick, it depends on what Hawthorne does next. I mean, presumptively, they reckon the third pick on their power rankings would be Charlotte Bascara from the Western Jets, an outside mid that can play halfback flank. She's someone that would really like to get um, if she was available. Or if she, if she gets taken, it doesn't matter because what they ranked as fourth was Amber Clark from the Dandenong Stingrays, who's a lightning quick defender, the quickest player in the NAB League girls competition so she would give us some handy run off the half back flank either that or if we wanted to go tall we've got Mackenzie Erdley from the Dandenong Stingrays 181 centimeters tall a quick rebounding defender and I think I think personally we need to get her any way we can because as much as we've got two talls already we've got Marshall and we've got Elise Gamble the trick is 
during the season, uh, Danny Marshall's going to turn 31. So let's say on the good side, Danny has four or five good seasons in her. But an 18-year-old, if we take now, will be 23 by the time Danny may hang up the boots. And plus, we need some insurance as well because Elise Gamble, as much as she's 24 and a quality player that's taken from the Western Bulldogs, Elise has had injury problems in the past. So we do need some insurance there. And I, I think Mackenzie Erdley would be, would be ideal. So most likely, we'll probably get Fleming. And then it'll be a case of, do we want to go Clark, the quick defender, or do we want to go the tall defender in Erdley? I dare say there'll be a lot of Essendon fans out there who is pricked up at the, at the name Fleming because you're right, it's a very famous Australian last name. I'm going to go really early here on you because obviously we haven't had the draft yet and we've only put half yeah. our list together. But but coming into the uh, AFLW season later in the year, there, there is a, a little bit of a, a haves and haves nots in the AFLW. There's always, to me, if you look at the ladder, you look at the results, it does tend to be a little bit of divide. Where would you see Essendon falling in that divide? Is, is there, a, I mean... Is there a chance that we could genuinely contend for a premiership in our first year as an expansion club? Or, or is that just a little bit of wishful thinking because the, the established clubs, although they are losing players, um, are still going to have that, that better, more cohesive nucleus than, than, than an expansion side? I'd love to be positive and say, yes, we're going for the flag. But in reality, um, we're a couple of elite players off of being able to do that. We don't have the eliteness or the tightness of Melbourne or North Melbourne for that matter, even though they've lost a couple of players, or the tightness of the Brisbane Lions. And even the Adelaide Crows didn't lose too many. So they've still got a, a quite a few number of, of good players uh, there. Uh, still the Marinoff and Randall, et cetera, that, and Hatchard, uh, that'll be running around for them. So the top end of the table will still be there and still a headache to beat. If, if anything, I'd be absolutely ecstatic if we could make seventh or eighth and make finals in our first year. That that would be a big win. For me, par for the course is we've got to get to or get past 12th. If we can get past the bottom four, um, that means we've kind of branched away from the other expansion sites and probably got the edge on a hopefully a couple of the uh, sides that have been around for a while. That'll be a good mark for us. And on the future of AFLW, so I mean, I've actually watched a lot of girls' footy at a local level. So I've got some, you know, some nieces involved in in girls' footy at a local level. So I've seen it. It does seem to be improving. So I think I, I, I still think there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, that maybe the AFLW isn't ready for these expansion sides. But but we're not really expanding for the now at AFLW, are we? We're, we're expanding for the future to give as many a, a chance as they, as they possibly can. Well, yeah, that, that's the theory that the league's gone with. I mean, uh, numerous people have different theories out there. Personally, I'm one of those. As much as I love seeing Essendon run around, I probably <laughs> would have liked to have seen it go at a slower pace because I, I see the VFLW and the VFLW is is a lot weaker to what it used to be a number of years ago. And that's because obviously we've taken so many players out of yep. the competition to go up and play in the AFLW. I mean, with, with great respect to the Essendon side that we've got at the moment, if you put that up against the Darabin Falcons in their prime around 2015, 2016, when they were winning their second lot of five flags in a row, we wouldn't beat them because they were, the, they were such a quality side. And most of them have all ended up playing AFLW and being stars in the AFLW. So and that's, again, just a reality of players being taken away. If anything, the way that you can see that the VFLW has dropped off is we knew probably about halfway in the season, we knew straight away, right, who's in contention for finals and who's really not going to make it. I mean, you think of the poor Western Bulldogs I mean, they had a situation where most of the AFLW players did not play in the VFLW, A, because of COVID and everything that was going on, and only maybe two or three played in the back end of the season. And uh, the Bulldogs 
2019, they played in the grand final. This year, just off their VFLW list, they finished last with a percentage of 16.9%. Yeah, um, they, yeah. they got mercilessly flogged week after week. Mind you, we did it to them a couple of times. Thanks for the percentage booster. But um, there is a uh, big gap. Like if I see clubs like Weemstown and Darabin as, as standalones, I mean, both of them every now and again can pull off an upset but they really can't challenge for the flag unless they somehow manage to pull in some ex-AFLW footballers because the funny thing is when you drop down those one or two AFLW footballers, my God, they make the world of a difference and they're, and they're a class above anything running around the VFLW. I mean, that's what happened with their, for our example, our program this year, it used to be like all the other clubs. We'd train two nights a week because obviously they're just amateurs yeah. really in, in the VFLW. We upgraded it to three nights a week this year simply because we're building towards an AFLW program. And obviously that's paid off dividends. Plus it's handy that we picked up a couple of players like, again, Danny Marshall was ex-AFLW, Jordan Zanchetta, ex-AFLW, Joanne Doonan, ex-AFLW, Isabella Air, ex-AFLW. So if, if we didn't get those uh, quality players in, we probably would have been where we were last year, probably sitting around that, you know, third to fifth spot. So I do have one final question before we wrap this up. And I hope it has been as enlightening of a chat for everybody else as it's been for me, because I've certainly learned a lot tonight about the VFL and AFLW, but what do you think the overall future for the AFLW is in the, in the, say the short to medium term? I, I know they're having the season well, they're starting the season earlier this time. Is that, do you believe that's because they're going to try and turn this around and, and have it run concurrently with the men's season and, and potentially even have the women players as the curtain raiser before the men or, or do you think they're always going to try and keep them separate? It's, it's a very difficult question. And unfortunately no one knows at the moment. Uh, and that comes down to the, the last CBA that was uh, negotiated. They were going to try and, negotiate for a three-year deal the women got the pay rise but they end up negotiating only a one-year deal and that's because the big sticking point is that the women wanted the games to expand at the moment we're going to have a 10 round season with 18 teams playing they wanted it to go 10 this season 12 the next season 14 the season after eventually building up to everyone plays each other once like a proper competition and everyone being paid full time. But the AFL went to the table for the CBA saying, no, over the next three years, it'll be 10 rounds, 10 rounds, 10 rounds. And uh, the women are getting frustrated on that saying, well, where do we, you know, where does the competition grow? And it comes into a tricky spot where if, if you stay where then moving the next season, well, this season's happening in the 2023 season in late August. If you do that, if you try to get to an 18 round season, now you're going to be running through Christmas what do you do? Are you going to stop or are you going to keep playing through Christmas? So that, that's a big point. Do you move the season to start a little bit earlier into the men's season? And does it get drowned out in the race to the finals during the men's season? It's coming to a point soon where I think the decision has to be made. Is it going to be summer and stand alone? Or are we going to go winter? And as you said, act as either a double header or for an example, if we're playing the Brisbane Lions, if the men are hosting the Brisbane Lions at Marvel Stadium, then the women might be on the road up at the Gabba playing, um, playing against the Brisbane Lions up there. So like a first 11, second 11 in cricket, how you play at opposite grounds. It is very interesting to see how that will unfold and what the path for the women's footy will take in the future. But unfortunately, that is all our time we have this evening. So thank you very much for joining. I certainly hope that our listeners got something out of that. As always, ladies and gentlemen, if you could please like comment and subscribe to the podcast we are most appreciative and i will be back next week hopefully with the grizz to talk about our stunning victory over the carlton football club in the 150th anniversary of the essendon football club (laughs) 